Over 100 years ago, William Ramsey, a young English scholar, went to Asia Minor with the express purpose of proving that the history given by Luke in his gospel and in the book of Acts was inaccurate. Ramsey's professors had confidently said Luke could not be right when he did right. Ramsey began to dig in the ancient ruins of Greece and Asia Minor, testing for ancient terms, boundaries, other items that would be a dead giveaway if a writer had been inventing this history at a later date, just like he claimed he would find it. But to his amazement, Ramsey found that the New Testament scriptures were accurate to the tiniest detail. So convincing was the evidence that Ramsey himself became a Christian and a great biblical scholar. And we still look upon Sir William Ramsey's books as being classics as far as the history of the New Testament is concerned. God told Jeremiah to write his words in a scroll. This incident reinforces the biblical witness that Scripture is inspired by God. God breathed. When we think of this subject, one of the first texts that usually comes to mind is 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 through 17. The word translated by inspiration of God literally means God breathed. It's a key text establishing the authority of Scripture. And for this reason, it is included in the preamble of the Articles of Faith of the United Pentecostal Church International, which read, We believe the Bible to be inspired of God, the infallible Word of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. The Bible is the only God-given authority humanity possesses. Therefore, all doctrine, all faith, all hope, and instruction for the church must be based upon and harmonized with the Bible. The Bible is to be read and studied by all people everywhere and can only be clearly understood by those who are anointed by the Holy Spirit. We read that in 1 John 2, verse 27. And Peter wrote this in 2 Peter 1, verses 20 through 21. No prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Bible is not just a book written by a bunch of guys. It was a book authored by God and written through men. And we'll share a whole lot more about that right after this. Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, brought to you by Word of Flame Curriculum and the Pentecostal Publishing House. This podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about God's Word, further develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of God for their lives. Let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. Good day to you, God's Word for Life listeners. You're listening to L.J. Harry. I am your host, and you're listening to the God's Word for Life Companion Podcast. Today's episode stems from a brand new series called The Importance of God's Word and a lesson dated August 7th, 2022, entitled Unmoved by God's Word. And it comes from our friend Jeremiah in 36 chapter of his book and the 24th verse. If you have that in your Bible or your phone and you want to turn there, click there. Scroll there, or just listen. I will read to you from Jeremiah 36, verse 24. Yet they were not afraid, nor rent their garments, neither the king nor any of his servants that heard all these words. All right, so what was that all about? Well, here we go. Buckle up. Jehoiakim was the second son of Josiah. And don't worry, there's never going to be a spelling test. 
Josiah was amazing. He led Judah to repentance when they discovered the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Under Josiah's leadership, the people committed unanimously to keep the Lord's commandments and testimonies and statutes with all their heart, all their soul, to perform the words of the covenant written in this book. Josiah's spiritual guidance was so remarkable that Scripture records, And like unto him was no king before him that turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses. Neither after him arose there any like him. No king before him like him, no king after him like him. Josiah was amazing. But when Josiah died, the people of Judah made Josiah's son Jehoiaz king in his place. And that was a big mistake. Jehoiaz began his rule when he was 23 years old, and he only reigned three months, and he reversed what his father did. He tore down what his father built up, and he built up what his father tore down. And Jehoiaz did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers, except Josiah, had done. The Pharaoh of Egypt had captured Jehoiaz, put him in prison, and then imposed a tax of a hundred talents of silver and a talent of gold on the people. That's a taxing tax. Then Jehoiakim came on the scene after his brother was imprisoned, and he was installed as a vassal by Pharaoh Necho of Egypt. It's regrettable that Jehoiakim had apparently learned nothing from his father's godliness or his brother's ungodliness. Jehoiakim had a perfect example of what to do and what not to do. And yet Jehoiakim just didn't get it. He followed the wrong example. Jehoiakim, like Jehoiaz, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Had Jehoiakim followed the example of his dad rather than his brother, his future would have been much different. Think about your life. Name one person whose spiritual example had the most influence on your life. During the fourth year of Jehoiakim's 11-year reign, Jeremiah heard from the Lord. The instructions were very specific. Jeremiah was to write in a scroll everything the Lord told him to speak against Israel, against Judah, against all the other nations. This was not selective. Jeremiah would write everything the Lord told him to write, all the way from Josiah's time to the day of that command God told him to write. It was all to bring Judah to a place of repentance. It was a warning. The Lord said, It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the adversities which I purpose to bring upon them that everyone may turn from his evil ways, and I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. The Lord had attempted through many royal administrations to bring Israel and Judah to a place of repentance and spiritual restoration. And there were some bright, sunny days, moments of hope, just like Josiah. Spiritual recovery, however, was temporary. And yet God still yearned for a reason to extend forgiveness. What mercy! Even though they were heathen, heinous sinners, God still wanted to forgive them if they would just repent. All those long prophesied judgments were now coming close. Baruch was Jeremiah's friend. He served Jeremiah in a role kind of like a trusted secretary. Jeremiah told Baruch every word the Lord had said to him against Israel, against Judah, against the other nations, and Baruch wrote them down. And Jeremiah sent Baruch to go and read the scroll to the people in the house of the Lord with the hope that the people would hear the word of the Lord in the house of the Lord and repent and turn back to the Lord. Ultimately, the scroll was read three times, twice by Baruch and once by Jehudai. Upon the first reading of Jeremiah 36 verse 9, we might assume that the proclaimed fast was due to Jehoiakim's repentance 
not the case. The king had not yet heard the reading of the scroll of the word of God. But when he did, he did not respond with repentance. The scroll originated in the fourth year of Jehoiakim's reign. But now in the ninth month of the fifth year, there was a general call for a fast. And that led to a reading of Jeremiah's words by Baruch. When we open up the scriptures, we soon discover they call not only to be read, but they call us to obey them. This is seen in the first section of the Old Testament, referred to as the law, and in the last book of the New Testament, referred to as Revelation. It is also emphasized all throughout the entire Bible. There's a connection between loving God and keeping his commandments. We read that in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 9 and 11. And we read that when Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. John 14, verse 15. There is a connection between loving God, following God, and obeying God. Can you list some specific biblical commands you've obeyed during the past, let's just say the last seven days, during the past week? Are there any biblical commands you have specifically obeyed? And let's be honest. Are there any you have specifically disobeyed? Now, some of the first words of Revelation, they declare the necessity, not only of reading and hearing, but obeying the written scriptures. God promised a blessing on those who would read and hear and keep the things which are written therein, for the time is at hand, Revelation 1, verse 3. As if to reemphasize the importance of obedience, this thread of reminders continues all the way to the end of the book. And now let's meet another character in this story, Micaiah. He was one of those who heard Baruch read from the scroll containing Jeremiah's words, and he went to the king's house and informed the princes of what he heard. And these government officials sent Jehudai to bring Baruch to them so they could hear what the scroll had to say. And after hearing Jeremiah's words, these men were afraid, and they told Baruch, we will surely tell the king of all these words. I would think in their minds they thought, oh, the king needs to hear this. We're doing it all wrong. The princess questioned Baruch about, how did you get this scroll? Where do these words come from? After he explained how he wrote down Jeremiah's words, the princess said to him, go hide you and Jeremiah. Don't let any man know where you are. Then the princes hid the scroll and told the king what they had heard. Jehoiakim wanted to hear this for himself, so he sent Jehudai to get the scroll and read it to him. It seems like we're going in the right direction. As Jehudai read the scroll to the king and his princes, a fire was burning on the hearth in the room. Jehudai would read three or four columns from the scroll, and then the king would take a scribe's knife, cut off the columns that he had read, and throw them into the fire. He did this until the entire scroll was destroyed. Obviously, we're going in the wrong direction. Those who heard it earlier, they reacted in fear and awe of the word of God, but not the king. Three of the men in the room begged the king not to burn the scroll, but Jehoiakim would not listen. He commanded them to capture Baruch and Jeremiah, but that was in vain. God had hidden them. The longest cohesive, independent text in Scripture, Psalm 119, is in a sense an ode to God's Word. Using a variety of synonyms, every verse in the psalm, except for three, in case you're keeping score at home, that those are verses 90, 122, and 132. 
speak in some way of the significance of the Word of God. So out of 176 verses, 173 of them herald the significance of God's Word. That's a good percentage. It's a powerful testimony to the importance of ordering our life by the Word of God. Scripture is given not only for doctrine, but also for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness. Think about the Scriptures. Are there any Scriptures you avoid because they are, let's just say, uncomfortable? Or make you uncomfortable? Can I tell you something you probably don't want to hear? God did not give us Scripture to make us uncomfortable. He gave us Scripture to make us right with Him. It did no good for Jehoiakim to burn the scroll containing the Word of God. You can't destroy the Word of God. God's Word came to Jeremiah again, instructing him to take another scroll and write in it everything that was in the first scroll and additional words. I love that. Jeremiah 36, verse 32. God said, I'll tell you what I'll do, Jeremiah. I'm going to tell you exactly what I told you before. And you know what? Just for good measure, I'm going to tell you a little more. And now we discover as Jehoiakim was burning the first scroll, he said, why have you written in it that the king of Babylon will come and destroy this land and cause man and beast to cease from being here? Well, that's an easy answer. Jehoiakim's reign was going to move to a temporary end of the Davidic lineage on Judah's throne, and Jehoiakim would have no one to sit on the throne of David, and Jehoiakim's dead body would be cast out to the heat of the day and the frost of the night, Jeremiah 36, verse 30. And further, the Lord said, I will punish him, his family, and his servants for their iniquity, and I will bring on them, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem and on the men of Judah, all the doom I have pronounced against them, but they did not heed. Once again, Baruch wrote down every word God spoke to Jeremiah, and Jeremiah spoke to Baruch. Jehoiakim is an example of those who wish to control what they hear from God. He's also an example of the futility of trying to do that. God's word is authoritative, even for those who refuse to hear it or read it. Now here's another question. Why do you think some people even some pastors and churches refuse to highlight some portions of Scripture that make them feel uncomfortable. There's a little hint for maybe why that happens. The Word of God cuts. According to Hebrews, it is a sword sharper than a two-edged sword, and it can cut even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. The Word of God cuts against the grain of humanistic philosophy. It is offensive to those opposed to God's purposes in their life. Paul described these people as those who, quote, will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. 2 Timothy 4, verse 3. And as a consequence of turning from truth, they turn to fables. That's verse 4. Society is saturated with secular influences and odds with Scripture. Abuses of social media, the 24-hour news cycle, divisive conspiracy theories, they all serve to distract us from the inspired Word of God. Remember Jehoiakim. If you can't spell his name, that's okay. Remember his name. His rejection of God's Word was disastrous for him. Let's not follow in his footsteps. Rather, let's follow in the footsteps of his dad, Josiah, and let's make the Word of God the authority and priority in our lives. One more question. Do you read Scripture daily? How long has it been 
since you read the Word of God from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation, table of contents all the way to the maps in the back of the Bible. If it's been a while, why not start today? Start reading, even if you don't read all the way through the Bible in one year. My my lovely wife journaled. It took her five years as she read through the Bible. And some days she would read a few chapters. Some days she would only read a few verses as she would write down what really ministered to her and spoke to her, challenged her, questions she had, and things she wanted to study. And she journaled and wrote those down in a notebook. And it took her five years to get through it faithfully, day by day, reading and being changed by the Word of God. Okay, let's wrap this up. C.S. Lewis, in his defense of the deity of Jesus Christ, he once declared, I quote, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. End quote. Lewis's reasoning hinges on the profession Jesus made about himself. Since he claimed to be Messiah and identified himself as one with the Father, there can be no middle ground in assessing his identity and his deity. Either he was who he claimed to be, or he wasn't. Those are the only options. If he wasn't, only two options remain. He was mistaken, or he was intentionally deceptive. We accept at full value his testimony, and we proclaim Jesus to be Lord and God. In the same way, the scriptures make specific plain claims about their origin, their nature, their reliability. Because they profess to be the word of God, we're left only with two choices. They are either the words of God or they aren't. If they are not, only two possibilities remain. They are written by people who, though sincere, were deluded. Or they were written by those who were knowingly were attempting to deceive us. And the latter two options are unreasonable. If the writers were deluded, they could have never produced a work of such splendor, majesty, consistency. Had they been lunatics who thought they were hearing God's voice but were mistaken, the result, it just would have been incoherent babble. If they knew they were not hearing the voice of God but were intending on deceiving, they were evil people who never would have succeeded in producing a work of such high moral value. At some point, their wicked agenda would have shown through. So we accept the first option. The scriptures are what they claim to be, the word of God. And now we have a challenge to face. Since we believe the Holy Bible is the word of God, we must read it and obey it. Otherwise, we are saying to God, eh, not interested, not important, leave me alone. If I must, I will toss your words into the fire. Jehoiakim is not the example we want to follow. It's much wiser to follow the life of Timothy, who knew the Holy Scriptures since childhood and learned them to be watchful, to endure afflictions, and do the work to which he was called, therefore making full proof of his ministry. The Word of God. Thank God for his Holy Word. 
let us be moved from now until Jesus comes by his word. Let's pray that God would give us a love for his word and then also a reverence for it that would cause us to obey it, to live it, share it as his word has told us to. Jesus, we love you today. Thank you so much for your word. You inspired holy men of old to write and speak as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, and they wrote as you authored it. We are so thankful today. Your word changes us, challenges us, transforms us, makes us right with you. We're so grateful. Help us not only to hear it, but to obey it. Help us to heed it. Help us to love the word of God, to reverence it, to share it, to understand it, to study it, to know it, and to know you through it. I pray today, Lord Jesus, give us faith. And then help us to share this precious, glorious gospel with others who may not yet know it. Lord, change their lives as you have changed ours through your spoken and written word. We pray these things and give thanks and honor to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks so much, God's Word for Life listeners. Appreciate you listening in. I hope all is going well for you. Be sure to click subscribe and share so you won't miss an episode and none of your friends will have to miss an episode, and especially in this series about the importance of God's Word. Head over to PentecostalPublishing.com. Speaking of God's Word, you can pick up a lot of Bibles, Bible studies, devotionals, music, books, great resources to help you in your devotional life and help others in theirs. So head over to PentecostalPublishing.com and you will find those great biblical resources. Next week's episode stems from a lesson dated August 14th, 2022, and it is entitled Restoring Worship, and it's found in the book of Ezra, chapter 3. I'm looking forward to sharing that with you next week and always look forward to learning and living out God's Word for Life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, visit us today at pentecostalpublishing.com.